Hey guys, welcome to a Light in the Darkness podcast. I'm Carly Robison. I'm a wife, a mother, and a person who's been suffering with severe health challenges for over 10 years. Through that time, I've had successes and failures while trying to maintain a positive attitude. Now I want to share what I've learned with you, hoping to make your hard times a little easier. This podcast is to help those of us facing times of darkness and trial find ways to let the light in. Hello, welcome to my A Light in the Darkness podcast. I feel like every week I tell you how excited I am to introduce you to my guests, but that's because I've been so blessed to be able to talk to amazing people who inspire me. This week is no different. Today, I'm so excited to talk to one of my personal heroes, someone who I admire greatly because of her resilience, determination, and her relationship with her father in heaven. Today, I get to talk to my best friend, Carrie Johnson. Thanks so much for being here, Carrie. You're so cute. Thanks, Carrie. (laughs) So let me tell them a little bit about you. Carrie Larson Johnson was raised in South Jordan, Utah, where she was taught by the example of her parents to love and live the gospel of Jesus Christ. Her life has been a series of detours on a joyous journey full of tender mercies. Carrie's greatest passion is talking about and teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. In December of 2015, Carrie was injured in a car accident, which resulted in major physical injuries and learning to walk and talk again. She knows without a doubt she was saved to testify of God's goodness, that miracles have not ceased, and that joy can be found even in the darkest places. Carrie enjoys life. She finds humor in nearly everything, and she loves to laugh. Carrie is married to the man of her dreams, the mother of a beautiful sassy pants daughter, and a hilarious son-in-law, none of whom she could ever do without. So thanks again for being here, Carrie. Thanks for having me. (laughs) So as Carrie mentioned in her bio, her life has been full of detours and triumphs and tender mercies. She's had so many things that we can learn from, and I plan on having her on my podcast again sometime so that she can share more of her experiences with you all. But today, I've asked Carrie to start with the car accident that she talked about. So Carrie, can you tell us a little bit about what happened in December of 2015? Yeah, um, we were coming back from a visit with my mother-in-law, and we weren't very far from home, which is usually the case. They tell you you're going to not be very far from home. It happens within miles of your home, these major accidents, and they were right. We were on Mountain View Corridor here in Utah and 6400 South, and um, we got into a major accident and one that just shook our lives up. Um, the car, the front of the car was pushed onto my lap, and it took an hour to cut me out with the jaws of life. Um, The injuries were very substantial, very critical. Um, My whole lower leg was crushed. Um, I had a compact fracture, two fractures in my femur. One was a compact fracture, compound fracture. Um, Then I had my artery severed in my, my arm. My hip was fractured. My, hip was crushed. 
Um, my ribs were um, all fractured on my right side and ribs two through seven are being held with these titanium butterfly bandages. Um, my lungs were critically injured um, and I had to have a tube in my lung um, to, to drain it. And, and then um, when I got to the hospital, they had to um, intubate me. Um, I, my neck and back were fractured um, all over, little tiny cracks, not, nothing enough to have to like put rods or anything or screws in them, but where, and then I was induced into a coma. So I just, they let me just lay there and they said I wouldn't be moving enough because of my other injuries. So over time they would just heal because I would be still for so long. Um, both clavicle bones or collar bones were just shattered. And anyway, those, I just had everything on the, my right side was just crushed. And yeah. the only bone that really wasn't affected or area that wasn't affected was my left leg. So in your whole body, my whole body. Wow. So that's what I had to rely on to, yeah. and only leg, I, only part of my body I could put weight on, but it wasn't for a really long time. Yeah. So I know that you have done a lot of um, speaking engagements mm -hmm. and you have a blog that you write on that you talk about um, in detail, all of the miracles and the wonderful things that happened. I do feel like we should talk a little bit about um, your husband's prompting right before you guys got in the car. Can you tell us a little bit about that before the accident? Absolutely. Yes, that in fact, I think saved my daughter. I don't think it saved my daughter's life. I know it saved my daughter's life. So she always rode behind him our whole life, either in the middle or behind him. Um, just because for the most part, when we drove, he drove, and then I would hand her a bottle or a binky or whatever. Yeah. I would reach behind him and, and we really didn't, I was a stay at home mom. So if I went somewhere, um, it was just easier to go shopping when he came home or, and, you know, he worked graveyards, but he would be up around two, um, in the afternoon. So I would go shopping when he woke up. Yeah. So it was just easier to, um, have her behind him our whole life. Mm -hmm. So, um, anyway, that was her spot. But we'd gone over and to borrow some Christmas decorations for her high school. She was in a dance, her dance um, team at the high school, and um, they were doing the Nutcracker there. Oh, and yeah, yeah her yeah. her teacher is, was amazing, and she was a, a professional dancer in New York. And so she was she was coming as she came back to teach. She was teaching, you know, them these beautiful dances. Yeah. And um, anyway, so. She'd asked, you know, we, as we were decorating the stage, she was saying, we really need one more. They had this huge stage at their, their school. And she said, we really need something over in that corner. But it was, you know, the seventh, I mean, the, at that point it was the fifth, but no, the sixth. Sorry. <laughs> and she was like, what are we going to do for that? Everybody's got their trees up. And I said, my mother-in-law 
has an extra tree in her basement and it was oh, a yeah. big tree and she had already gotten a different tree and everything and had been sitting there for a couple of years. And so she, you know, had said that and I just thought I can ask Mary, my mother-in-law. So we went over there and she said, yes, have it, take it. And she gave us a ton of stuff to decorate with because she had also changed themes when she bought the new tree. Mm-hmm. So um, she, uh, we, we packed it all up and my husband was like, Charlie, I'm going to need you like one side folded, like three fourths of the way down. And yeah, so she, she switched to behind me. Okay. So he packed it all up in a certain direction and, and then we started pulling out of the driveway and he just stopped and he said, I've got to switch things. And he was so particular about the way he packed it. My husband is a professional packer. He's really not, but he was that particular night. He was so weird about how he packed it and it was fitting perfectly like, like a jigsaw puzzle Mm -hmm. and we were teasing him about it. And then all of a sudden he stopped and he was like, we got to switch things around and made Charlie get out. And we were just teasing him. We're like, why? Because, you know, I, I feel that I feel like a prompting, like I should. And we're like, Oh yeah, you feel a prompting. Mm -hmm. And we were just again, teasing him and, but I'm so grateful that he did not ignore that prompting because if she would have been behind me, she would have died because of how everything was so smushed and there was no room for her. I mean, they had to cut off my passenger door, the um, passenger passenger door, um, you know, and I, my seat got pushed back into hers she would have died. I mean, there was no doubt about it. So it just, that Chevy Tahoe looked like a geo tracker. I mean, it was incredible. So I'm so grateful for my husband who was, he could have been like, we're 10 minutes from home. This is, you know, we'll be fine. But instead he took the extra time and it was nine o'clock at night. I'd been gone all day. He'd been gone all day. And Charlie was very tired, but he really took the time to listen to the spirit. And it does take time to listen to the spirit. For sure. Those promptings to serve other people, those promptings to, you know, listen, they usually require a little extra effort. But I'm so grateful he did because it saved lives that night. Me too. I think that that's, that's the first of so many miracles that have happened um, from that night and so many that have gone on since then. And Mm -hmm. I think it's so easy to just think, oh, this is just, you know, my perfectionism in my head or whatever, and to second guess those promptings. But I think this is such a beautiful and visual example of the importance of listening to those just quiet, still small promptings. Um, yes, for sure. It really did. It, it saved her life. So they were able to get you out of the car and Cam and Charlie, did they have any injuries? They had a few, um, just bumps and bruises. Charlie, um, nothing internal, nothing that didn't heal quickly. Um, Cameron, you know, he had a little bit of an elbow injury, just 
more like a tennis elbow from holding on and pushing against, you can't see me, but just <laughs> gripping like, like against the, um, the steering wheel, the steering wheel. And yeah. then where his, where my side kind of got pushed up and then into his knee, oh. he had just had, um, knee surgery himself on a meniscus tear oh. and it, it didn't do any damage, but it, it was kind of sore and tender there. But, um, and then Charlie had some major whiplash and then a big, it looked like a hickey. It was all right, <laughs> all right here. Uh-huh. And On her chest. she's wearing this big, beautiful white tutu. And I mean, a beautiful, you know, feathery thing. And she's got this big um burn mark yeah yeah and in her picture she did she was able to there were parts that she wasn't able to do in the neck their nutcracker but she had to go off stage for a a few of the leaps but um she she was able to perform the majority of the dance what a blessing for them yeah so you mentioned that you, they got you out and they took you to the hospital and they put you in a medically induced coma. How long were you like that? I was for, um, three days days. and then they brought me out. Yes. Okay. And then when they brought you out, um, in your bio, you mentioned that you had to relearn how to walk and talk. How long did you end up being in the actual hospital for all of this rehab? They told me, And they told my husband four months at the least. So the talking, um, they had nicked my vocal cord um, with the broken neck. Uh, It was so swollen that, and I still have scarring on my tongue, which mouths and tongues heal quickly, but I still have scarring on my tongue, a big slit, and it goes this way and this way. It's ugly. Um, Yeah, it's gross. And as a singer, I'm always self-conscious of it. Oh. but yeah. I've never even noticed it. So well, that's good. <laughs> I do. I do. It's gross. So, um, but, uh, um, one of the things is when they woke, they had already warned my husband that it would be so long. Um, when they woke me up, they, they'd already told my husband it would be four months plus, but when they told me, they hadn't told my husband that they nicked my vocal cord yet. They um, also told me, and that's when my husband was like, she's a vocalist, like, oh my goodness. And they're like, well, hopefully she might talk again, but yeah, she's never going to sing. And no. I was sad. My husband was sad. My daughter was very, I mean, and my, my, my sister was there as well. And they were all very sad for me. And of course, they're, he's like, we need to set some goals. And I'm like, well, I want, I'm going to sing again. And he's like, okay, whatever. But yeah, and he's like, well, we're hoping to get you talking. Like, let's start with baby goals. And then I, and I was writing on my sister's, on Cameron's hand. And I'd already started writing on my sister's hand. She was there that night with me. She had gone the night before to see the Nutcracker and then, that night, Cameron, it was the last night um, of the Nutcracker, and um, um, they went, he went to see Charlie. He wanted to go see it, yeah. And also, my niece had come down from Idaho to see it with Charlie as well. Mm -hmm. So, they were all there, 
and so my sister was the only one with me when they brought me out of the coma. So I had started, they had my hands tied down to the bed because if I woke up, they were afraid I'd start pulling all the many um, crazy cords and everything and yeah. the innovation tube. So I was writing on hands and um, so I had spelled stage and he's like, what does she mean by that? And I'd been on stage with the, you know, some performing companies around here. And, um, and at the time I was doing like seven shows a week and doing some shows. And, um, anyway, he's like, yeah, that's not going to be happening. And, you know, he's like, what, what does that entail? So Cameron was saying that. And now I see that that could never happen for me again. I, I cannot memorize a darn thing. Um, you know, my brain just can't comprehend that with my um, brain injury. And yeah, you got a brain injury, injury also, brain injury. right? Yeah, yeah. That, I always forget that part too. Yeah. <laughs> so um, anyway, with just with my head hitting front and back. So um, anyway, um, and so he was explaining that, and he didn't know at the time. They were so worried about my breaks that they didn't realize I'd had this hematoma on the back of my head that was like seriously the whole size yeah. of my that was forming so um anyway there was so much that he was just like let's let's start uh, let's start small what's another let's what's another thing you know and so of course I wanted to learn to walk again and then I said dance mm -hmm. I wrote dance and he's like okay well let, again what does that entail and then I wrote wedding and I didn't know when that was going to be. And he's like, who's getting married? And here's my, my 17 year old daughter standing <laughs> there. And I wrote Charlie and, you know, and he's like, okay, when is she getting married? And I wrote a question mark mm -hmm. and she, she just got married a year ago, but, um, and it's been five years since the accident. But yeah. I, I said, I, I don't know when she's, you know, he Cameron explained we finish each other's sandwiches and so <laughs> he he explained that we don't know when she's getting married but he, she just wants to dance at her wedding yeah. and I didn't care if it was full out or if I just got to lean on her and dance I wanted to dance at her wedding yeah. and I did and I danced like I've I danced and I didn't, you know, I wasn't up there doing the running man or anything. <laughs> I tried and it hurt. And I was like, nope, I can't do that. But well, I, honestly, <laughs> really, should we really be doing the running man anymore, Care? <laughs> um, I did before the accident and I was hoping and I was like, just kidding. I, that's probably not ever going to happen again, but I was, you know, feeling it. And it was like, no, but there are some... I had the time of my life and I paid for it dearly. <laughs> yeah. I was in bed afterwards, but I really had, I really danced, you know, and it was, it was so much fun. That's awesome. So how long did you end up being in the actual hospital? It was only a month Wow. and not, not the, not the four months they said. Yeah. That they said I would at least be so um, 
why why do you think that was your your body was just healing faster than they anticipated yes yes so this is going to sound this is a very sacred experience um and i know it's going to sound weird to some people even if they do have our beliefs because at first i was like what (laughs) my stake president was there um he worked downtown as a lawyer and he happened to come right at the time they were going to start physical therapy. And I had no idea what that meant. Yeah. I was like, okay, but and it was the day after my longest surgery. Oh. And they had said, you're, you may die in this surgery because my lungs couldn't handle it. Yeah. My lungs were so bad. And it was like a seven hour surgery. And so they had to, they had to repair my leg or it was not going to ever get repaired. Like I would not have a leg. So they, um, but they did warn us, like, if we don't do it tomorrow, you, and if you don't also, we don't have a chance to do it if we don't do it tomorrow, but you may not make it. So it was a really scary surgery, Yeah. but also I just thought, how can we, how can we even do this? How can I even do physical therapy? I just had surgery yesterday. Yeah. Like, so in my head, I was so scared. And he's like, would you like a blessing? And Cameron was also there. He was, I don't know how I could have made it without mm. his job giving him time off work and everything. And I mean, he had had sick days built up for years and years yeah. and years. But so still, like, for they those, so, those who don't know, sorry, really quick, you are a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Yes, and I am. So they were asking if you wanted a blessing. What is a blessing? A priesthood blessing is when um, members who hold the priesthood worthily um, put their hands on your head, and we believe the priesthood, they represent Jesus Christ, and um, they hold that same power, and they, that same priesthood power that he did back in the time when he was alive, and can give those same miraculous blessings, and sometimes it's just blessing of comfort, sometimes it's healing, and sometimes those blessings don't come that are that miraculous, but they do hold those same keys. Mm -hmm. So, um, and it, you know, like I said, these worthy gentlemen are able to put their hands on your head and give you those blessings. Mm -hmm. So they did that. And my state president put his hands on my head and promised me very beautiful things. But one of the things he promised me, and like I said, you may think this sounds ridiculous, But for me, it sounded, at first I was like, how does that happen? But he said that to not to be scared of the physical therapy, to welcome it and to know that heaven, the Holy Ghost and other heavenly beings would come into my body and heal it from the inside out. And at first I was like, that's weird. But then I'm like, you know what? We've been told that... uh, evil spirits can take over our bodies. Why couldn't good spirits? They also don't have physical bodies. So why couldn't they? Why couldn't they? And so after the, so I stood on my one leg and they said, we only want you to do it for like 20 seconds at the most. That's probably all you'll be able to do. I stood for two minutes. 
two minutes and you know the the as soon as i stood up my face turned white i have a video of it i wanted to die in fact i almost i almost passed out yeah. at the end it was horrible and they're like you are going to sleep for a long time like just just know you're going to pass out oh i didn't i felt exhilarated Cameron wrote a Facebook post that said, Carrie feels exhilarated. And it's because of, I felt the spirit so strong after. And my physical therapist and occupational therapist just kept coming in and checking on me. And they're like, we cannot believe you're not asleep. And I just was full of energy. And I know it's because of those things that continued to happen to me, like afterwards, yeah. that healing power that was happening. And it was incredible. Oh, that's it was incredible. That's and my therapy sessions, even though they were so hard, I had after that, once I was moved to, a week later, I was moved to um, the physical therapy area. And I had seven hours of physical therapy a day. And um, just nonstop. And the stuff for my brain was the hardest. It was, oh, it was just... It killed me. It like really the did. Thinking, kind yeah. of talking words. Yeah. Acting, oh, that. that was it. Was so hard for the speech yes. therapy stuff, and it really like I didn't have to learn every word all over again, but I didn't. I talked like a person who has Down syndrome, which is so cute if you have Down syndrome, yeah. but for a thirty-seven-year-old woman who does not have Down syndrome, it sounded like I was mocking them and it was not cute, you know? Mm -hmm. And I felt so bad, not for myself, but for, you know, so I had to relearn and I had to learn how to reform every word yeah. and it was a huge struggle. And so it was a huge struggle and it was, took a lot of time and a lot of effort. And anyway, it was a lot of effort and a lot of brain power and a lot of miracles <laughs> a lot of miracles yes so you said you were released after a month which was yeah. crazy and unheard of and nothing short of a miracle then you got home and you still had to do some types of therapies and different things while you're at home how long did you do that for and do you want to tell me a little bit about that yeah, I had about nine months of in-home therapy, and then I went to out, I went to, like, I went to Tosh here in Salt Lake okay. City for just outpatient therapy, yeah. and I did that for another about another year and a half. Wow. A year and a half total so, or a year and a half after the nine months? After. So that's, wow, that's a long time. A long time. It's over two years of after we released from the hospital. Yeah. So I'm sure as you're recovering and going through all of these things, you had these specific goals that they would set for you and you would set with yeah. them um, different things that yep. you wanted to achieve. And I can imagine that that kind of gave you some confidence and some direction in your life. But I would like to fast forward a little bit, if that's okay with you. So Absolutely. as I know with my health challenges, there comes a time 
when the constant loving friends and family, they just gradually stop checking in. They get back to mm-hmm. their own lives and yeah. husbands and daughters have to go back to school and work. And life is really just moving forward for everybody else. And you're left to figure out what you do from that point on. So can we talk a little bit about how you have kind of coped with that point until now? Yeah. Yep. After therapy, um, my therapy stopped because there was a cap, like, Oh, okay. I was done. And so that was hard. And so I was left to do it on my own. Um, because it, which was it wasn't well. that you didn't need it. It was that no, the insurance fact, my, would not. My therapist at Tosh flat out said, you're not done, but I have a checklist and the checklist says you're done and the insurance says you're done and your doctor is saying you're good enough. Like, even though he's extended it before, like, you you know, I, you're probably only at 60%, but you're good enough. Like, and I was mad because my doctor promised me a hundred percent. Like, he's like, I think you can get there. And I was like, this is not good enough. Like, you know, I was anyway, I just, for me, it wasn't good enough. Like maybe it was satisfactory to someone else on paper. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, no, no, I was not happy with it. So, um, and like I said, my therapist was not happy with it, but my insurance was plenty happy paying for it. They were done. They were, were done. So that was devastating. Um, and yes, it, it, I have, I've had amazing friends and I do still have amazing yes. friends. And I've learned that those are the ones, those are the ones I need. The things I've learned the most are that, so I had a really great experience. I went to Mexico for Charlie, my daughter Charlie's graduation and um, our 20th anniversary. And this was maybe three years ago. Um, I had planned this trip. I planned it perfectly. It, we had an excursion, like an excursion type every other day. And I thought, oh, this will be perfect because we'll go and do something and then I'll have a day of rest. And, you know, so this will be great. It did not work out that way. So I thought that Mexico, it's not a third world country. I thought, you know, we'll get off the airplane. We'll, and then it's a day of rest. And then the next day we'll go to this thing. And I thought it would be like here, it's still an American country. You know, I thought they'll, they'll have wheelchairs, they'll have um shuttles they'll have this that and the other no we we got to these places and we were walking so far and i still could not and even though i was doing really well i was keeping up my therapy at home i was walking every day i couldn't i could not keep up with our tour group half your body held together with metal i can imagine that that is forever going to be painful and exhausting I have two rods, plenty of plates, 47 plus 
screws and rods and butterfly bandages. And I say 47 plus because one of the doctors stopped counting after <laughs> 27. So add the other 20 from another doctor plus the butterfly bandages and my ribs. You know, who knows how many I have. So, yeah. <clears throat> and I wasn't about to count up everything from my stack of medical records that the, you know, the hospital kept sending. So yeah. anyway, so a lot of walking, a lot of walking. So after the, this was just the first day and then we get back on the bus of this tour that I booked. It was a book of Mormon tour and I was just, which I learned so much and I thought we were done. And I'm like, Oh, okay, I can handle this. And they're like, the next place we're going. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I cannot do this. And my leg is already so swollen. And my husband and daughter are looking at me and holding my hands. And I'm like, I'm going to stay on the bus. And I'm just crying. And I'm yeah. like, there's six more days of this. This is day one. I can't. And the day, yesterday we just sat in, you know, waiting for this day. And I was just so sad. I planned this for me. They could have done anything they wanted, yeah. but they agreed to do this for me. So I was just sad. And every day was, they went and did something so fun while I stayed in the hotel room, you know, mm -hmm. I was like, oh, and I mean, they were, they were like, are you sure mom will stay here with you? And my cute husband the same way, like Charlie can go do something with the kids or the other kids that were there and I'll stay here. And I'm like, no, we, paid so much money you go so one day Cameron's like hey why don't you walk and I still had to walk really far to get this um massage but he's like why don't you go and they were going to some other really great historic thing and jumping in these pools and I was just like okay I will do that yeah. and I'd never had a massage before and I was also really nervous about that because I hurt so bad. I'm like, what if they rub too hard? What if they, so I was nervous. So I'm laying there and this cute lady comes in and she's, you know, putting pressure on my body and she says, pressure is okay. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. And I have this thought that pressure is okay. You know what? You know what, Carrie, the pressure is okay. Look at everything you have. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. You are in this beautiful tropical place. Other people can't even dream of doing this. You're getting massage in this beautiful hotel. Pressure is okay. Yeah. It is okay. It has brought you closer to Christ. So then I'm laying there thinking, you're fine. Pressure is okay. You know, I'm like, you know what? So you didn't get the perfect trip, but you're here. You're here. I'm still alive. I keep going through all these things in my mind and I'm like, pressure is okay. Yeah. Because it's made me the person I am. And, you know, things have not stopped. In fact, it's been like a rolling ball, yeah. just collecting more dirty snow. <laughs> and I, I'm just like, you know what? Pressure is okay. Yeah. It really is. 
And I, that was one of the greatest learning points of my life. And I'm fine with it. It's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing. It's, I, I understand a lot of those same feelings. Um, and this is one of the reasons that I admire you so much is because you definitely just like any normal person, you're going to have some bad days and some bad times, but I love how receptive and open you are to the spirit and to just seeing the positive and good things in your life. Um, I talked a little bit about, so you started a blog and a website where you talked about a lot of the miracles that have happened and the things that you've learned um, throughout your trials. And so I will definitely link that in my show notes so people can um, go and read even more of your story because we don't have time to touch on even a little percentage of what you have been through today. But I do want to kind of um, read something that I found on your blog, if that's okay. So you shared a story that was from December, 2016, and your daughter had asked you what your favorite scripture was. And it took you a while to pick because you have so many favorite scriptures. You love scriptures, but you finally settled on one. So I just want to read what you wrote a little bit. So the scripture is Psalms chapter 30, verse five. And the scripture says, for his anger endureth but a moment, in his favor is life, weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. And here's what you said about it. I have always loved that scripture. And while it does bring me a wonderful feeling of peace, I have some slight issues with it. I do understand the sentiment behind it, especially if we look at it with God's timetable. Life is very short, except while we are living it. <laughs> you see, I've learned a deeper meaning of this verse. Most of my life has been full of sorrow, heavy trials, and living in a state of mourning, spelled M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, mourning. Not once have I woken up, thrown up the window, and all my burdens were gone. <laughs> no, never has the rising of a new dawn washed away all my sadness and grief. Instead, it is only through that morning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, have I been able to appreciate the small, medium, and sometimes very large amounts of joy that have filled every day of my life. The constant mourning we all feel has still been looming, but that's the purpose of my life, to find and share joy in the morning. I've experienced extreme trials, but hand in hand with that, overwhelming triumph. I have learned to trust that God knows exactly what he's doing and that his timing is so perfect. So first of all, I just want to say I love this paragraph because it's so you. It perfectly summarizes your, your views on life. And I love that you can share with the world that you can really simultaneously feel really deep sorrow and mourn for the difficulties in your life, but also at the same time, just that gratitude and joy for miracles and tender mercies that you know that you're surrounded with. So I was hoping that maybe um, we can talk about what are a few strategies that kind of help you to keep that joyful attitude in your life. So number one, I love children. Um, and I know that sounds creepy. Like I know it doesn't sound creepy, but I no, <laughs> I don't have any little kids around me. I, ha I was only able to have one child and she's 21 now. 
but I love children. So when the neighborhood kids come over, they ask me to play. And I'm like, yes, let's play. So even like I in that my old neighborhood, um, we live with our with my parents now. They have health issues. I bought a bike so I could ride with the neighborhood kids, and I know that's weird, but nope. <laughs> they ask me to play, and I go play because so here's this 42 year old woman riding a bike with little kids, but it brings me so much joy. And in my house, out in Magna, I miss those kids so much. They were such cheerleaders. They would play Duck Duck Goose with me. And it took so long for me to get on the ground. And so they would assign one little girl. She was three. And they'd say, Gabby, you're the only one who can tap Sister Johnson's head. And that's what they called me, Sister Johnson, because that's what, you know, we call our elders. I'm an elder in the church. I'm old. And out of respect, that's what this family called me. Some of the, most of the kids called me Carrie, but this family called me Sister Johnson. And only you can tap Sister Johnson's head because you're slow and she's slow. <laughs> and she would still have to wait for me. She'd They'd wait for me to get up and I'd get up like a, I'd call it my stink bug because I'd put my hands down and then I'd like pop my butt up. I'd like crawl and, and then they would totally like, she'd wait for me and she would not touch me and she'd let me sit down and then she'd go and run somebody, get somebody else. And one time we were flying kites and they were all running with the kite and they're like, Sister Johnson, it's your turn. And I'm like, I can't run. And they're like, sure you can. Just try. You can do it. You can do it. And they were cheering me on. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to try because they won't laugh at me. And as I'm like hobbling, they were cheering for me. So the first time I even attempted to run, and it was not a run. It looked, I'm sure it looked like so funny, but I ran and they were cheering and I'd go out and walk and they'd walk with me and they'd see me and they'd be like, yes, you know, and cheer me on. And I just loved it. And, you know, they, I think a lot of the reason Jesus, you know, his apostles were like, no, Jesus is too tired. Take your children somewhere else. And he's like, um, no, bring your children here. I think he understood that because they said, he said, so is the, you know, this is how the kingdom of heaven is. And I'm just paraphrasing. I think he gets it. I think he gets how children, it's not just the innocence. I think he understands their purity of spirit. It's healing. There's something about it that is so healing. And I think we need to remember that their spirits are the same age as us. There's a wisdom there that we need to remember that their spirits are so pure that they really are so close with our father in heaven that they, they ground us. They really do bring us close to heaven and we need to allow them into our hearts 
and to remind us of what, how we really should be. We lose ourselves, and we, we forget about the worldly things, and we remember what is truly important when we are with them. Yeah. The second thing I do is I search for solitude. Um, I have to be by myself a lot. Um, I'm in charge of taking care of people. And sometimes I forget to take care of me, which is not always great. So sometimes I have to... It's not just about prioritizing me with pedicures and a massage, which even though that was great and I received inspiration that day, it's about just having me time because when I have that time, I turn to him and it's different than my nightly prayers or my morning prayers where it's like, okay, Heavenly Father, just help me get through the day. Or, you know, or, okay, today was rough, and now I'm so tired. Help me to sleep. It's, you know, it's it's during those times I have learned to, it's like when you take the sacrament, those are solitude times. And instead of just being like, okay, I'm going to open up my phone and look through some hymns or, you know, or, again, that that's a different, another way of just still being in the world. Like, and I'm not saying that you can't have solitude like that. Yeah. It's a way of really closing down everything and saying, I'm just going to be with my heavenly father, the Holy Ghost and Christ. Yeah. Another way, way I've done, I've, that I've strategized is really t- turning to Christ and by doing that, I've said, teach me how you truly understand me. Like, I know you suffered for me, but how? How do you understand me? And he truly has taught me. He truly has. Like, you know, we, he, we, we're, so, we're told he knows our pain. But how do you get me? Like, how? And every time... Every time I do that, it is amazing how I'm taught. Amazing how I'm taught. That's beautiful. So thank you so much. That's, you're welcome. I, I love that. I love that. I think you know that's called the enabling power of the atonement, and I think mm-hmm. it's a a tool that a lot of us aren't as familiar with, but it's so important to get through our trials. So thank you so much for sharing your story and your strength and all the lessons, well, some of the lessons that you've learned with us today. Um, If somebody was inspired by you or if they've had maybe similar experiences in their lives and they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? Um, um, Well, my blog, um, yeah, there's, there's links there on my blog to my social media and also my social media page is Carrie Larson Johnson. So on any social media page. <laughs> I'll link that in the show notes as well. Thanks again for being here. I really appreciate it. And Well, thank you.
Yeah. And thanks to all of you for listening to my A Light in the Darkness podcast. If you have a minute today and could make sure that you're following me on whatever platform that you're listening on, or if you could leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, that helps these amazing stories like Carrie's to be able to be seen by even more people who may need to hear them. I hope that you guys all have a joyful week and that you're able to find the light in your own personal darkness. And we'll see you here next week. Thanks. Bye. I want to give a special thanks to my son, Carter, for recording and writing our intro and outro music for this podcast. If you want to hear more of his music, you can find him on Instagram at CarterGuitar456. 